went out to plant some seeds all around his land. One seed, two seeds, three and four, he plants as many as he can. On a path where people walked was where some seed would fall. But it got stepped on and birds came and ate it all. The farmer planted more seeds on rocky, shallow ground. They grew fast with shallow roots, but fell when the sun came around. Some seed fell among the thorns that were prickly and spiky to touch. The plants tried to grow, but because of the thorns, they couldn't grow much. The farmer also planted some seeds in soil that was very good. These plants grew up strong with deep roots like a healthy plant should. We're studying the book of James. James is both passionate and practical. Real faith, according to James, allows us to put boots on the ground. If we look at the way that James grew up, being the half-brother of Jesus, that, that had to be amazing. But what was also amazing is that James really didn't come to faith till later in life. He came to faith after the resurrection. But once that happened, there was a fire inside his bones. He became part of the early church leadership team and a passionate pillar of the church. James wrote his letter to persecuted, scattered Jewish believers. Huh. It was hard in the first century to be a Jewish believer. Not only did they stand up or buck up against the Roman Empire and government, but all of their family members, the Jews. They couldn't believe that, that they were trusting in this Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah. James knew the struggle and knew that listening to Jesus was the answer. But he saw this early church driven by emotions, living defeated, fruitless lives. These Christians were just simply not growing up. They were immature. But James had an answer. James had something to offer these believers. He knew the Old Testament scriptures well, and he lived literally with Jesus. What a great combination. His big brother Jesus brought the good news, the good news that the king had arrived. Not everybody understood this. And James did have some advantages in his journey, but we're on the same one as James is on. We're learning from Jesus. We're spending time with Jesus so that we might be able to live like Jesus. But if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you see that, that James cuts right to the chase in his letter. In the very first few verses, he talks about how believers can have joy in spite of these hard scenarios and situations in their life. Last week, we talked about how important it was for believers to, well, seek God's wisdom which is literally listening to God 
and then obeying Him for the journey. Well, this week, James talks about money. To James, nothing more clearly reveals the state of a person's spiritual maturity than his view of money or material possessions. I'm not sure how you just responded or reacted when I said we're going to chat about money. I'm not so sure it was a hearty amen. Because it's hard to talk about money. It it just is. For some reason. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask God to give me his words. And that all of us might be able to hear what God wants us to hear today. Father, we do come before you. We, We recognize again that your word is filled with great principles. We know you are a great God. We know you desire deeply that each one of us would walk so very, very closely with you, just like Jesus did when he was here on the planet. And and when we walk with you, we know what to talk about. We know what to do. But Lord, we, we need your word today. There's so many, I think, misconceptions. So, so could you open our eyes today? And would we follow you with all of our hearts? Lord, we thank you for all the different churches, all the different fellowships, all the different groups that are meeting today in your name who are lifting their voices in praise and hearing from you. Would you energize your people so they might be salt and light? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's turn, if you would, to James chapter 1. And we're going to start reading verses 9, 10, and 11. And as I said before, that we're just kind of going through James. But James has a tendency to, well, spit out some important things right in the beginning. And then later on in the letter, he really, well, elaborates. So we're going to start here, but end up over in chapter 5. So you can read along with me, if you'd like, James chapter 1, starting at verse 9. Believers who are poor have something to boast about. For God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast about God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. James is starting off and he's Basically saying prosperity is like a short-lived wildflower. Almost like what life is like. But the poor, they can rejoice because it forces them to depend upon God. They get to go to God often. Every single need that they have, God's got to take care of. 
So the relationship with God is rich. And so they can rejoice. And then he says this, the rich can rejoice because God has, well, humbly chosen them. Literally, I don't know how many people fall in this category. But the truth is, is that James was looking at a group of people who actually didn't need God. They had enough money. They did. They had a great bank account. They didn't need to go for them for their daily needs. But James puts a little twist on it and just says this. They should rejoice too. Because God saw fit to give them funds. And they can humbly use them, as we're going to see, to benefit the kingdom. Now, it's kind of an introduction to what he's going to say to chapter 5. So turn with me over to chapter 5, and I'm going to read the first six verses. Look here, or pay attention, or please hear what I'm going to say. You rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because all the troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and your silver are corroded. The very wealth that you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen... Hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who did not resist you. He starts off, and these words seem so harsh at this moment. Hey, pay attention. I want to talk to all of you who are rich. Now, as soon as I say that, every one of us have a calculator in our brain. And we all line ourselves up. Well, no, I'm not. This person's really rich. I'm just kind of middle class. Or I'm this or I'm that. And we start putting people in categories. But what I want to say is I struggled with this message this week. Because we are the rich. I'm going to even just say a little differently. I am the rich. And James is saying, Rick, pay attention. I'm going to share with you some things that are critical for your life. I want you, Rick, to listen. Not only do you have to preach this message, but I want you to understand exactly what I'm saying. Now let me explain to you why this has been hard. I've been to too many places and seen too many pictures. I have literally walked in the world's greatest slums 
and smelled the stench of the burning garbage. I have literally lived in two-room huts with families who believe the greatest blessing they have that day is they've got charcoal to cook their meal with. I have helped them carry water literally. I've given them bottles of aspirin, and you would have thought it was the greatest wonder drug of all. I gave them toothpaste. Toothpaste I got free at the dentist office. I gave them pocket knives. Pocket knives that not that important to me. Or Bibles. Bibles. I, I, I've got so many Bibles. I've been in their worship service where they've had one bulb in the middle of their worship center. And so excited, Pastor Rick, I'm hoping the bulb stays lit. I hope that the generator continues to work. One bulb. Suffering to us is sometimes not going on a cruise or not having the right outfit. As we look in our closet, and there's not one or two choices. There might not even be 10 or 20 choices. There may be 30 or 40 or 50 choices. And even maybe some of those things hanging there still have the tags on them. Because we don't know when we're going to wear those. But it was a good deal. Let me say this, and you can take these stats, not at all to beat you up, but to put some things in perspective. If you make $32,000 this year, which, which I'm assuming most of us are pretty close there, maybe a little more. If you do, you are in the top 1% of the world wage earners everywhere. Top one percent. Do you know that nearly half of our world, three billion people, live on two dollars and fifty cents a day? I love coffee. I, I, most of you guys know that. Perhaps addicted, but I'm, I'm working on it. And I'm not into fruffy coffee. I'm, I'm God. I just like coffee. But you know what? I go in. And now about two fifty, three bucks, get a cup of coffee. Which half the world is dependent on. I do it pretty casually. I seem to always either have it on my phone or in my wallet. I don't know if I've ever wondered where my next meal might come. I don't. I have never not gone to a gas station thinking I can't get gas, ever. My whole life. Except back when they rationed gas, and that wasn't so much fun, but I was still able to get gas. 
And so when James says, all of you who are rich, he's talking to me. I'm the rich man. And I know the scriptures say, and Jesus himself said this in Luke chapter 12, to whom much is given, much is required. Now what I'm going to warn you is please work with me to the end of this message. This is not a message so that everyone goes home guilty for having more than 250 a day. You're going to see how, how actually James encourages you. But the fact is, most of us don't think we're rich, so we don't listen to this passage. But we are, is all I'm saying. And then James goes and says this, God's judgment is coming, Rick. God is going to hold you accountable for your riches for how you spend your money that God technically has lent you to manage. And then he goes into a passage, he goes, you know what, you hoarded your wealth. It's an ugly word, isn't it? It's kind of like this, this miser kind of like... Argh. But I think there's times I, I hoarded my wealth. You cheated your workers. You focused on yourself. And because of that, your wealth is rotting, your clothes are moth-eaten, and your coins are corroded. James is convinced that those of faith will see wealth differently. And conviction is odd, folks. Because as the Holy Spirit freely moves not only here, but all over our world, there are certain words or certain sentences that as we read God's word, jump out at us. And we grab it. Not everybody is convicted the same way. Not everyone hears the Spirit in the same way. But we all respond differently. What's odd, really, at this moment is James doesn't really give perspective or help. He, he says, hey, you're going to be judged for how you use this. And there are some people that really are not kingdom people and using their funds as kingdom people ought to. So if we stop there, we're almost depressed. But I think he didn't go there because he spent so much time with Jesus. He understood what Jesus had said. And I think he thought the folks he's writing to understood it too. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. We keep going back to the Sermon on the Mount because you're going to even see the language that James uses comes from the Sermon on the Mount. The sermon that Jesus gave almost at the beginning of his ministry where he tried to share with everyone the kingdom of God is here. 
It's coming. It's powerful. It's going to look so very, very different. I am changing all of the price tags. All the things you think are important in your culture, they're not important in my culture or in my kingdom. God's kingdom ethics and economy are different than the world's. And what we don't understand, even as you read through the Gospels, you will see how much Jesus literally talks about money. Because in this message, he knows that money has and can have a death grip on every one of us and will literally thwart and squeeze the life out of us. So in Matthew 6, if you could turn there, I'm going to start reading. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at chapter 6, starting at verse 19. And this is what Jesus says. Don't store treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal, store your, hev- or your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus just said this, your heart follows your treasure, whatever you think is important. Your affections will follow what you cherish. If earthly wealth and power and position are your treasures, are my treasures, it will be your focus. If heavenly wealth, power, and position are your treasures, that will be your focus. So interesting as James writes, he uses the same words and moths and rust. But literally what Jesus is saying right here in the beginning is this. Don't store up your treasures now. Don't focus on now. Don't build your bank accounts for you now. Don't spend all of your funds and your material possessions on you now. That's not, that's not how it works. Store them up for later. Use your treasure to invest in eternity. Eternity is really long. And somehow the culture keeps, you deserve, you deserve, you should have, you need. And maybe you do. But as you talk to God, and he gives you the freedom to manage the funds that he's given you, how do you invest in eternity? Then Jesus, I'm telling you, if he doesn't shake you up, it, it just, look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Jesus is just saying this. You're gonna have a master, I'm gonna have a master. It's going to be God or it's going to be money. That's it, one of the two. But we as Christians have sometimes dabbled thinking that Jesus was kidding. 
It, it, he didn't really mean that. I can do both. <laughs> I'm really good at this juggling thing. And God says, no. There is something that happens. You can't serve two masters, period. Let's continue to read in verse 25. That is why Jesus said, I tell you, don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and throw in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith, Jesus says? Verse 31, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, or those who aren't part of the kingdom. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Isn't that interesting? Isn't life more than food and clothing? But that's what our culture continually says life is. It's how much stuff you have. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm changing this whole thing up. I, I am your king. I am your God. I am going to provide for you. He will take care of the food and the clothing quite well. Unbelievers, Jesus said, those who are not part of the kingdom, they fret about their daily needs. Actually, this dominates their thoughts. Then he gets to verse 33 and 34. Jesus said this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for you. So Jesus says in verse 33 and 34, because you know the king, because you understand his values, and because you want to invest well, focus on two things. Two things. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. First thing. Make it your first priority to do what's best for the kingdom. Whoa. Is, uh, what does that mean? I'll say it just a different way. Make it your first priority to do what's best for the kingdom. Every time you make a decision... Would this benefit the kingdom or would this benefit me? Those are the two gods, remember? Would 
me spending this money or me doing this with my time, would it benefit you, God, and your work? Or is this going to benefit me? So he says, first thing, seek first God's kingdom above everything else and also live righteously. Now again, I think most of you have been around, this is not you trying to be really good and you being really, really holy, although that might be the result. But living righteously in God's word is this, that you listen to God and you obey him. That's living righteously. So he says, hey, what I want you to do, seek first my kingdom, and I want you to keep listening and obeying God because, and here's the promise, then God will give you everything you need. Now here's the struggle. Do we believe God? That's all. Do do we believe God? Because we can justify everything, right? Right? We can put things into different categories, right? But Jesus came to literally upset the apple cart, saying, we don't think the right way. We have to change some things in my kingdom. And how you spend your money and how you spend your time, this needs to be a priority. If you're going to trust me, you can be more generous. Rick, I'm not even sure if I'm going to make it till tomorrow. Okay, I get that. But realistically, these are Jesus' words. The most important thing we can do is think and invest for eternity. Not about here. It's so hard for us. It's hard every stage of your life. It's hard when you go to college. How am I going to pay for tuition? I don't know. But if you have a king and you walk with the king and you seek first his kingdom and you live righteously, he will take care of tuition. Well, I didn't didn't want to have a loan. Well, you know what? Maybe God's given you a loan and that's his gift. I don't know. Maybe you're going to have a great aunt show up and flip out 80 grand so you can go to school. I don't know. All I know is that this is the promise that God gives us. And and Jesus continually wanted to build faith. Keep trusting me. Keep trusting me. Keep trusting me. This is what I want you to do. Now let me just say this, because again, some of you, I I know, (laughs) there's turmoil in your soul. If you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If not, you can look up on the screen. But what I want you to hear is this. God is not against riches. Do you know that? He does not want all of you or all of us to be poor. He is not against riches. Let me say this. He is against misguided priorities. That's a big deal. Listen to what the older pastor Paul writes to the young buck pastor Timothy at the end of his first letter. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
He says this, teach those who are rich. Okay. In this world, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Timothy, their trust should be in God, who richly gives all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, those who are rich, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and in generosity or generous to those who are in need. Always be ready to use the funds that God has given you, lent you, to share it with others. And here's the kicker. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Yikes. Pastor Paul gives Pastor Timothy some advice. He says, you know, in your church, which again was probably the church at Ephesus, which we just got through talking about, I want you to teach them about money. Now, if they were texting back and forth, maybe Timothy would shoot one back and say, oh, come on, Paul. Every time I talk about money, you, you know the response. They always want a bigger offering, or they think I'm... They didn't text, and I don't know what was going on in, in, Paul, or, or in Timothy's mind. But I know this. He said, this is what I want you to do. You want to grow your church. You want your church, again, to understand how much God wants you to experience life. Don't serve the God of money. Serve God. Experience life to the fullest. He says, teach about money. Help them trust God, not money, not bank accounts. And then he says this. This is so cool. And I love generosity, and you know that. Use your funds to do good. Share with others and invest in the future. Folks, we're all going to shut our eyes unless the Lord comes back before. We are. And it's at that time when you come into God's presence, you will be in absolute awe. And you'll say, why? Why? Why did I spend my time doing this stuff I did on earth? (laughs) I don't know what all that means. I can't give you. I know, again, maybe you get a big mansion. Maybe you get a Harley. I, I, I mean, we talk in silly talk sometimes. Not that you can't have a mansion and a Harley. I I don't know. But what we're saying is God's going to have so much more for us. Because we chose to trust Him. We made a kingdom impact here. We are seeking God's kingdom first. With the funds He gives us. God isn't saying, well, you have more funds, you have less funds. He's just saying, that's our first priority. That's our first priority. That's our first priority. I'm going to wrap up. And as I wrap up, I want to remind you just of one thing. 
We talk a lot about fruit here at Crosspoint. Not fruit that you have to muster up. Not you better behave better. But fruit that happens from staying connected to the vine. Jesus, again, our teacher, said, hey, you're going to bear much fruit if you stay connected to the vine, to Jesus. And the fruits you're going to display are actions that show who your Lord is, who's your master. Jesus taught about the kingdom in parables. In fact, the scriptures tell us in Mark, he never ever taught without telling a story, a parable. But we started off with a bumper about what most of us would call a kid's parable, right? Well, there's a farmer, and yeah, there was some seed, and that's the word of God, and sometimes the seed falls on the pathway. It gets trampled, no fruit there. Sometimes the seed gets thrown out and it gets put in rocky ground and it's just shallow. So it shoots up, Ooh, dies fast, no fruit there. And then the last one we, we focus on a lot, well, some fall in really rich ground. It's amazing how cool that is because then it just, the nutrients are there, it grows and it bears much fruit. Yes, that's what needs to happen. But just literally last week, as I was preparing this message, I'm reading these texts. And the thorny soil, or in some of your versions, the weeds really became interesting to me. In fact, I was floored, literally. It was worry and the lure of wealth that stole the nutrients from this seed being thrown which robbed them from fruit. Look at the screen behind me. This is Matthew 13, verse 22. So consistent with what Jesus just preached about in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, the seed that fell among the thorns or the weeds represents those who hear God's word but are all too but are too quickly but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life and the lure of wealth, so that no fruit is produced. Yow. Wow. So we pause. We pause. I don't know what your bank accounts are. I don't know your generosity. I don't know that if everyone in this room absolutely seeks God's kingdom first. I I don't. But I know this message hit me. And I want to think that I'm a kingdom guy. I do. 
But every once in a while, things start to deviate. I start justifying some things. I, I start thinking again that the stuff God gives me is mine. How foolish. I've seen God faithful. We sang about God's faithfulness today. God, you are faithful. You want me to trust you. You want me to invest in the future. This life is so pathetic. Really. If you get 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, awesome. What do you get out of all those years, about six of them that are kind of good? God says, I might give you a chance. This is important. And James says this, we will be judged, period. We will stand before God, and God's going to say, I gave you this. I gave this to you. And I gave this to you to move the kingdom forward. That's what I did. You, you could, you could have joined me. You could have joined me, but you didn't. You know, James doesn't seem to be getting easier. It doesn't. But one of the things that hit me as I was praying through the message, I might be wondering what these things are. All throughout my office, I have junk. Every bit of the junk means something to me, though. Just does. On one of my trips to Haiti, I had a chance to offer a little girl some shoes. And it was because I brought a boatload of shoes because of the generosity of God's people. And I told her this. This was her pair of shoes. She didn't get to choose that day. She didn't go in her closet. And I said, I'd love to give you a pair of shoes or two or three, but I want your old ones. I can't have them. I'm pretty persistent. I up the ante. I'll give you three, four, five. I need your shoes. You know why? Because I forget I'm rich. I flat out forget I'm rich. Let's pray. God, I, I do. I do want to stand before you someday. And I want to hear you are a good and faithful servant. And God, there are times when I'm deceived. There are times I forget about eternity. There's times when I want to hoard 
my stuff. But God, it's not my stuff, it's yours. And I would ask, dear God, that you would be patient with me, with us. That we would all grow in seeking first your kingdom and being generous with what you've given us and trust you to take care of our food and our clothes. God, it's tricky. It is tricky. I, I don't think it's just one way. But that's why last week we talked about coming to you in wisdom and for you leading us and for you guiding us and for giving us the time and knowing when to be generous, when to be extravagant, when to give out of our substance rather than our excess. I would pray, Jesus, that, that you do work in our church. That we would serve you more than money. That's what I would pray. Father, I, I also want to pray this. We've got two groups that we've sent out, almost 30 different people. Our Honduras mission trip, Father, has been delayed. I'm pretty sure they're at the airport right now and I'm pretty sure they're going to be boarding soon. But I pray for Dave and Linda and Ethan and Titus and Rachel and Gary and Beth and Carrie and Gary and Dave and Doug and Todd and Bill. Oh God, I pray that they see your divine intervention. I pray that they see that delays to us are not delays at all. I pray you would strengthen them, empower them, and go before them. That they will come back with stories of God's grace and every one of their lives will be different. I pray, dear Father, for our kids and our leaders on the winter retreat. Oh God, would you do a work in them? Would you give Willie and Brian and Amanda and Nancy sensitivity of what to talk about, where to go, when to be gracious and when to be firm with the conversations on the way back be powerful. And with these kids, with their lives make a difference in their schools and in their neighborhoods. Would you change the world through them, Jesus? I pray for our kids. I I pray for Lindsay and Miranda and Kayla and Savannah and Addie and Julia and Jalen and Hannah and Will and David and Zach and Trelane. God, we pray for them. We pray for them, God, that, that you just show up in a way that you cannot be denied for the messages, for the worship. We thank you, Father. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.